Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Would Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your women, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he is made... The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our ongoing ultramarathon through the movies of Michael Cain. We've reached 1969, which of course was a tipping point for the love generation. And after a succession of increasingly odd films, we find Cain miles from Woodstock uniformed up and ready for some more conventional war action. I'm Michael Foley and I'm joined as always on this journey by Stephen Black, the front of house guy for the Mallow News Twitter hypermarket. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Mick. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sort of, um, you know, it's been a tough road for us really since the Ipcris file on this. And that's a few years yeah. back now in, in Kane time. We've seen some terrible things like. Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, if this is, as you describe, an ultramarathon, that I think I'm at the stage where I've had an allergic reaction to one of the many caffeine gels that I've eaten, and I'm currently <laughs> voiding my bowls in a ditch. <laughs> That's a. I, I would. I'd like to say it's a terrible way to talk about Deadfall and the Megas, but it's it's absolutely accurate. It's absolutely. Accurate. It is avoiding. It is a cinematic voiding of the bowls. I, I'm not. I'm not willing to leave this movie out of that category either. If I think this is just a, I was reaching for a dock leaf and found a nettle, you know. No, we're gonna. Have, I, I can. I look at. I can tell we're gonna have problems. We're gonna have problems today, but we'll we'll we we get to that now. At this point, he's he needs to pull this around now. He's had four or five awful films, really, and he needs to start showing a bit of form. Uh, he needs something with an edge. He needs something that most importantly makes sense, like the Megas Deadfall. These things. We're just a mess. I don't think it's important that I don't think he. I don't think he needed something that made sense. I think he needed something that made money. Well, well, that too. But I mean, just for himself, just for his sort of look. You know, I'm I'm thinking of Kane and the Oscar legacy, the Oscar nomination legacy, and all that stuff. Like his actual standing as an actor. I don't like. I don't think he's standing as an actor has anything to do with it. I don't think that's for him. I don't think it's a certainly a pressing concern. I think as far as he's concerned at this stage, you know, he's he's ultra aware of the work that he's doing and the quality of the work that he's doing, and he's honest about that. But at the same time, he's not exactly knocking down the door of every uh, art house or independent director in the system trying to you know get them to to work with him. 
it's just mm. he's, he's rolling he's rolling along he's taking the jobs where he finds them uh he's taking the money and he's ho- he's hoping their hits based on the previous work of the director or the writer yeah well i agree with the last bit of what you just said I, well we 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 get into it i think there's i think i think he is trying well i i get the impression certainly in this film and in the choices he makes after this that he was pretty well pissed off with the stuff he was doing before and he wanted to change but anyway we we get stuck into this so after a bunch of movies as we say trying to overreach himself he's back Again, with another movie with a message, really. This is the North African desert. He's blowing up fuel dumps in the 1969 war movie, Play Dirty. Forget the medals. Throw away the rule book. In this man's war, if you want to survive, you play dirty. Michael Caine as Captain Douglas, leading a bunch of desert rats whose only ideal was a lust for money and a pact to play dirty. No target impossible. Rommel supply lines, oil dumps. Convoys. If you failed, you bought it. Murderers, thieves, deserters, handpicked by an unscrupulous colonel. War is a criminal enterprise. I fight it with criminals. The way to survive here is to watch, listen, and say nothing. I play safe. Ladies first and forget the sentiment. The name of the game was Dirty. And they played it to the hilt. Chivalry dies here. No conscience, no appeal. Forget honor, forget duty, forget the rules. Just remember one thing, play dirty. Cable's going! Get down! Um, so play dirty. Uh, it's North Africa in World War Two. It's the latter stage of the Desert War with Rommel and Colonel Masters, who's played by Nigel Green that we mentioned there, who was also the color sergeant in in Zulu. You know, the gentleman has a bottle, and he also plays Dolby uh, in the Ipcris file. He's back, and he leads a ragtag sort of commando unit made up of ex-cons. Uh, my, I kind of they kind of glossed over me, but I think we had a couple of drug addicts, a rapist. A murderer, and the drug addicts might were also homosexuals. I think. Am I right? Something they were. Like they were lovers. They were yeah. lovers. Yeah. Uh, go on, because we get back to this. Because this is something. This is something I want to dive in in more okay. in more detail. But keep okay. Going. Cool. Okay. So anyway, they're they're a commando unit, and they're doing special ops in the desert. The main uncle of these special ops to this point seems to be just a lot of dead soldiers and not a whole lot of success. But they're given one last chance by Brigadier Bloor, who's played by Harry Andrews who approves a mission basically to go and blow up a key fuel dump that's used by Rommel. But he wants, he wants masters to put a British officer in charge. So while secretly taking the credit for the whole idea um, with his superiors, uh, Bloor arranges for Michael Caine, uh, who plays Captain Douglas, who's an engineer with British Petroleum. And he's kind of basically pressed into leading the mission, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of combat experience, it seems, but he has an awful lot of experience of being in the desert. Uh, at this point, they're not too bothered. Bloor and the the superior, the, the, the commanding officers aren't bothered because they, they don't really care whether anyone comes back dead or alive. So off they go into the desert, led by Kane, with this other character, Sir Leach, uh, who's played by Nigel Davenport, who's another one of these one, one of these criminals. He was pulled out of prison to to join this unit, and who's effectively the real leader in the field, if you like, and a bunch of other guys disguised as Italian soldiers. So they have various adventures. Uh, they massacre a group of tribesmen at an oasis. They pull their their jeeps up a really steep cliff kind of a la reminded me actually of the ship in Fitzgerald just pulling it up with these 
cables. Then there's a lot of mundane stuff around sandstorms, flat tires. Uh, Kane gets stuck on a landmine for a bit. It takes a while to get him out of that. Uh, one of the guys gets blown up in that, and then so they hijack an ambulance with a German nurse. There's a very odd scene with her wrestling Kane, and there's an attempted rape scene that I'd imagine we'll come back to. They eventually find the, the fuel dump, but it turns out that it's a fake. But Kane is still determined to find the real one. Uh, Leach just wants to get to the coast now and find a boat to get out of there. They reach where I think I think it's Benghazi is where they reach. Uh, but they actually find the fuel dump, and the two guys agree that they'll blow it up as a decoy and then go get their boat. In the meantime, Brigadier Bloor has instructed Masters to stop the mission. Montgomery's making progress. He's about to take Benghazi, and they want all these fuel dumps saved because they need them themselves. But Masters can contact the lad. So Bloor basically says, inform on, you know, basically get the word out that, that the attack is going to happen. Let the Germans take care of them. So the lads attack the fuel dump and everyone is killed, basically, apart from Leach and Douglas Michael Caine's character. They hide out overnight and they kind of wake up to find British tanks and troops coming into the city, taking over. So Caine says, come on, let's go, let's go surrender. Leach goes, I'm well, not so sure. But anyway, they put on a, a bit of a rag onto a stick, white, 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 white flag. They go out. And uh, before before they even get a chance to surrender, they're gunned down by a British soldier so he didn't see the white flag. And that is the grim and gritty ending to the film. Actually, that was the handiest plot kind of explanation we've had so far, I'd say. It felt like it to me, anyway. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was very concise. Fair play to you. You're getting well used to it. Woo, thank you very much. Now, you, I, like, the, like, cards on the table, right? I like my war movies. This is not a great war movie. It's a decent war movie, but it's essentially, this is movie me now. You know, cup of tea, few hobnobs on a wintry Sunday afternoon, sit down and watch a couple of hours of this. I would, I would, I would happily do that. This is, you, you are not, you are not of that church like. No, I'm not exactly a huge war movie fan in the first place. And in this day and age, thankfully, we've got away from two-channel land, uh, the two-channel land of our youth. If I was sitting down on the Sunday afternoon watching that, then I would avail myself of the many digital platforms that could provide me with much better entertainment than what is essentially, if you recall the the that very subtle scene in Zulu where the injured or the dying soldier sits up and goes, why, 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 and then dies. And then the, the surgeon goes, damned if I know. This is basically two fucking hours of that. Yeah. Why? 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 Damned if we know. It's we do what we're told. We die. We play. We we do a bit of play dirty, and then you know we die. And what was the point? Like, well, <laughs> and it's done in such a boring, boring, boring way. Like that fucking scene where they do a mini Fitzcarraldo and bring the cheapo. Like Jesus, that's at least fifteen or twenty minutes of the runtime. And you're kind of going, this. Why? Why is this taking so long? We know where this is going. One of the jeeps is going to fall, and that's that's pretty much it. No real purpose to it other than trying to show the value of Kane's character in it. But so boring. Uh, the mine scene where he's where he, there's a scene where Michael Kane steps on, is retrieving a, a carjack from a, from a, a, an ambush site, and he's stopped by Leech because he thinks it might be uh, mined. So they have this what would be a tense scene of. Okay, we've we figured out he has stepped in mind. Now we need to to uh, to defuse it. And at the same time, the 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 two lovers are stripping uh, the bodies for for loose essentially watches. And one of them what watches? They they don't think for watches. And then one of them blows off, but he blows off off screen. Off he blows up off screen. There is no tension whatsoever. There's no kind of good misdirect here. You know straight away what's going to happen. They're going to defuse the bomb, and the lads are going to get blown up over there. There's it's 
it's so any attempt at tension to this is completely uh, undermined by poor direction and let's face it terrible characterization in it you don't know who any of these people are and you could care less there is no tension about anyone blowing up because to be quite honest i'd be quite happy if they all blew up at the start of the fucking movie or as soon as they're introduced <laughs> you don't give a shit it's a subpar dirty dozen ripoff and i fucking hated the dirty dozen as a kid as well i just i never really liked it but it's just boring and the whole uh, the whole message of war is hell and you know there is no glory in war is undermined by the fact that you don't give a shit about that is it they're all awful people everybody involved even the even the soldier on the ground who's having to carry out this work and you know like uh, compromise himself morally in order to get the job done you they're all dickheads you don't care just fucking do what you like get caught in barbed wire get shot in the buttocks uh as happens in the scene uh, or in this movie just 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 die and you know roll credits <laughs> did you enjoy that did you i think you were getting more out there than just play dirty did you do you feel better generally after that no i i i can generate quite i'm quite good at you i have this inner dynamo of rage that could just spin off things and just get a perpetual rage machine yeah. this 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 is all uh play dirty this is nothing else that i brought i brought from my own personal life this, this is, <laughs> There'll be time in other movies for your personal life to intrude. Ah, oh, 100%, yeah, but not not this. Just kind of going, fuck's okay. sake, Kane, here I am again. I'm just going, right, opening scene. Your man rocks up, fucking playing his fucking gramophone in the back of the jeep, rocks out with a dead body, <laughs> makes light of it. And you're going, what a dickhead. Nice. No, you then you're introduced to the two Nigels. Uh, the lad from Zulu is wearing an Aaron, card, an Aaron fucking cardigan in the middle of the fucking desert. And they're knobs. And... Just you just you're you see you're never gonna let your fundamental problem is that you don't dig these kind of movies you don't dig the idea of the idea from wearing an Aaron cardigan for example no there's a lot to there's a, there's a lot there to to, to to wade through but just on the point that, that that opening scene that we're talking about right basically he's he comes in on a jeep holding a dead body and he's playing Italian music or German music I think Lily Marlene was another or something and then he flicks it to British music when he gets close to the British lines so this is to give you the impression of going from one place to the next that's the idea right to me Nigel Green comes out wearing this ridiculous iron sweater uh, iron or jacket which you would need in the, at, at, at night time to be fair, maybe not in the middle of the day. The whole idea is that he's he's an oddball eccentric, he's he's off the grid sort of officer. That's the whole it's 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 rough and it's ready and it's not very subtle, but that's the nature of these kind of films. Now, let me just go, go through one or two, a couple of things. I want to go back to your thing about it being very boring and drawn out in places. And you have one very major supporter in that idea, uh, and that's Kane himself. Um, he did a he did a really good interview that I sent on to you as well um, in a in a magazine called Films and Filming in April 1969 and it's it's all around play dirty and he makes the point himself that the, the, it seems the film itself the script seems to have been just torn up and redone and there was you know there was a change of director at the very beginning of the movie it was it was all very messy in ways. But the, he didn't see the final cut of the movie until it came out and when it did come out there was a hell of a lot more. Well, he he referred to crawling in the movie, which is there's a big long scene again of them of a bunch of lads crawling underneath barbed wire. But it speaks to what you're saying that a lot of this stuff was drawn out really long. Like you're right, there's about 15, 20 minutes worth of stuff that could come straight out, which Kane himself agrees with. He, he you know he said that's basically in his words that is what's basically wrong with the film. There's I think he would have liked more action in it 
and less of the drawn out stuff. To me, watching it, I would have been the same. But I would I would argue that there are parallels here with the Harry Palmer concept, right? That a lot of the mundanity around being a secret agent, which in the in the mid sixties was a sexy thing, uh, according to James Bond. In the same way that being in a commando unit going out and they shoot him up, you know, that you expect is going to end well in most of these war movies. Well, actually, it's a bit more dull than that. It's a lot of sandstorms. It's a lot of flat tires. It's a lot of hanging around while we get you off, while we get you sorted out with that mind there, Matt. And I agree, it's not very exciting, but I think it's part of a piece that they decided we're going to make this film. Like, Andre de Tutte was was the director in the end, and he wanted to make an anti-war movie. Harry Salzman was the producer. I mean, in a lot of ways, and Detot also worked on the Harry Palmer movies. This was kind of a bringing back together of the Harry Palmer crew. They wanted to make an anti-war movie that was cynical and grim. And, you know, if there was dull elements to it, I I got the feeling they were happy enough to take that because it fed into this whole idea of war, just not so much being hell, but war just being extremely cynical, superior commanding officers fecking you over at every turn and really if you're Michael Caine or if you're any of the guys out in the desert you have absolutely no control about what your own guys are trying to kill you as much as the guys on the other side of that mound but that's fine and you could do that but you, if you if you take Harry Palmer or if you take the Ipcus file as an example there you could do that but you could do it entertainingly and this doesn't do it entertainingly it makes it it, it goes to the opposite side of showing modernity and it makes it boring and that's a crime in a, a movie, which is, as anti-war as it is, essentially supposed to be a movie with action, uh, with momentum. And it doesn't have that. It stalls like the fucking cars do in the sand dunes. It's, <laughs> like you talk, about, you talk about, okay, the mundanity of, of spying, then the mundanity of, of, of uh, being in the army and the dirty work there. Look at it pretty well. It's a, it's a classic example of how you can do that well by having good dialogue, by having good interaction with characters, and by having snappy and swift action scenes that don't overstay their welcome but further the plot this yeah. doesn't have any of that it's just plot from point a to point b it's like a fucking lord of the rings movie it's a long walk <laughs> and at the end everybody really would be happy if everybody died um obviously that would have been a much better cut of uh, the hobbit but there we go and interesting enough when you talk about the final cut i mean even the ending and i, I just to go back to, to that point by the way about it i'm not comparing it i'm not saying it's as good as if chris i'm not even saying it's as good as, as some of the films i'm not even saying it's that's fine it's, it's, it's a solid you're agreeing with me you're agreeing no, with me that's all i'm I not i'm not i'm not you're you're saying it's complete dirge i'm saying it's a solid average six and a half out of ten if it wasn't so cynical and kind of grim in in its rendering it would probably have been on Sunday afternoon TV a hell of a lot more than it ever was. In reality, it's kind of lost. I mean, I found it interesting. Like, I mean, Martin Scorsese is a bit of a fan of this film. Like, he he, uh, he is spoken. you're stretching you're stretching his words there. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He said he said he liked the nihilism of it. He liked the pragmatism on all sides, as in the officers just having to cut the guys loose when they had to. Uh, politically and militarily and on the ground as well. I mean, they witness a, an ambush of another British convoy and they just they just let it happen. Um, and to Scorsese, that's frightening. And I think there's an element of that kind of pragmatism, of that frightening pragmatism. You see that in Scorsese films as well. Now, I'm, again, I'm careful here. I'm not comparing this to Scorsese films, but I'm just saying that for this is why I kind of, I didn't mind it. I think also the fact that it wasn't the Megas and Deadfall and I could follow it. I think was a big was a big was a big plus point for me on the characterization. By the way, before I before I forget, you're right. No one cares about him, and I don't care what happens to them at the end either. But not in the same way that I didn't care about some of the characters in the other Kane movies. Again, I think none of these characters in the film are in any way likable. 
you it's impossible to 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 develop any kind of kind of connection with any of them and um, which i think is the whole point of the film like the, the the criminals are meant to be criminals i mean the dirty dozen you mentioned before the dirty dozen is an entertain it's an entertaining kind of film with a lot of awful people in it but you kind of there's a bit of humor in it and stuff like that that makes you into there's no humor in this like it's just going from basically from one disaster to another is is what happens in the movie and the lads are you know they've they have no control over what's going on around them but it's a, you've no interaction with them i think one one of the characters well, you need uh, it one of the less well but you need some element of characterization with people who are going to be on screen for with you for fucking two hours you do you don't one of basically one of the guys in the command unit his entire range is to chuckle maniacally that's all he does he has no no dialogue <laughs> other than hey, 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 hey. <laughs> the whole fucking notion of this crack community commando unit that they go you know they, they meet in a bar and he and uh leech points out all the lads are going and you're gonna go all right this is uh so and so he's he's the strong man he's a brute uh these are the demolition experts uh great 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 this is the rapist uh this whoa hang on what Oh yeah, we, we need whoa, a rapist. Whoa. Why? Why we need a rapist? Yes, it's a commando unit. We need a rapist for 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 raping because that's what a what the fuck? We, I mean, essentially, you know, like you know, as my mother always says, you never leave the house without a rapist in your commando unit. You know. <laughs> I want to come and back. True to form, and true to form, he does get a chance to. He does get a chance as well. Like it's fucking bizarre. Really, but again, the, I think to Toth, this is the end of his career. Essentially, it's the last, last movie he directed. Film. Yeah, his yeah. last film. Yeah, thank Christ, Jesus. I mean, there's a really poorly executed. Like, I'm not going to go to the, 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 the what is a well executed uh, rape scene, but there's an attempted rape scene in this. Again, which we would like to think would exclude it from, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon entertainment on yeah. RT on RTE. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the way that it's shot and the resolution of it. So uh, one of the injured, the the uh, one of the injured uh, members of the unit who sees the, the guy who got blown up in the mine sees this attempted uh, a rape happening and shoots one of the lads in the arse. Yeah. And then this this alerts the superiors that something's going on. They go out and they basically see this captured German nurse attending to the wounded buttocks of yeah. the guy who one of the guys who's attempted to rape. And that's it. There's no kind of yeah. you know what we and then cut to no, say so that has happened. They're aware of something. They clearly have some cop on uh, cop on as leaders and know that something has gone wrong here. Where do they store your one in the back of the fucking ambulance with all the guys who have attempted to rape her? Yeah, yeah. Look, there's look, there's some uh, particularly around that particular storyline of hijacking this ambulance with the German nurse in the back. Uh, that's got awful. I mean, the, even the scene. Did you find the scene like what happens? I mean, they open the back of the ambulance and she basically tumbles out. Of of the ambulance wrestling wrestling one of the one one of one of, one of the soldiers. Kane takes a step, and the next thing he's wrestling the nurse. There's a real lust of the dust vibe. There's a real lust of the dust vibe to that. It's kind of gone. Yeah. Why? Didn't need so, to happen at all. I mean, it, it didn't need to happen. Well, like the the, the attempted racing didn't need to happen either. Or no. you're going to show the people that we know nothing about who we already have established are terrible or are terrible. No purpose to it whatsoever. No, but. Yeah, I thought it was, and then the 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 the, the conclusion of this fight scene is Leech Colcox are like it's is this is this is this is this the Toth's uh, interpretation of humor? Is this being played for humor? It's not funny, and it's not. Yeah, so, it's not so I'm not sure whether. I, yeah, but are they? Is that it? Was it? It was its intention to be humorous. This is 1969, was, after all. He has a line, doesn't he? Uh, Leech when he, he he punches her and he says, uh, "You don't know how to handle a woman," something yes. like that, which is a bit like whoa. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, they're they're dislikable, hateful people. So you're kind of going, yeah, you're dislikable and hateful. So 
box ticks. But it, none of that needed to happen. I mean, none of none of that stuff needed to happen. Um, like, did you find? I mean, in terms of Kane's performance, I tell you what struck, struck me at times about it was he looked a bit like a tourist walking around at times in these white chinos and a kind of fashionable kind of um, you know khaki overcoat and a pair of shades. What do you insist? And he's insistent on wearing a cravat throughout the movie. Yeah, well, I thought it was strange. Yeah, yeah I was he, odd. I, I. I think he was somewhat invested in this. You could see some light in between oh. his eyes whenever he was on screen. You know, like it's it's a solid enough performance, but you know, it's by no by no means is it the best thing that he's best performance he's put in behind the camera. But it's certainly more life to him than there was in the majors, uh, the majors are dead are deadfall. Like I mean, there's no doubt that he's invested in this. I think because I mean, he has he has experience of war himself from the Korean War. We spoke about that way back in episode one. He's seen combat himself. And he made he, again in that in the in that magazine interview from April '69. He, he's he quote is I, I would never appear in a war film that made any young man feel like going out and joining the army. So I think he's definitely invested in it. Now I think the way the film evolved and with the change of director, it was meant to be Rene Clément, who was like a French French director. I'm not aware of any of his work, but Kane apparently was very keen to work with him. And when he dropped he dropped off the he dropped off the project because he fell out with. Harry Salzman in terms of, I think, the direction of the movie, where he wanted to, how what kind of movie he wanted to make. But to be fair to Kane, he even said, I'm not sure what kind of movie Clement wanted to make. Um, but he makes a point, Kane makes, makes a point that dirt, Play Dirty resonated very strongly with his experiences as a soldier, basically being a pawn, getting nudged around the place, depending on the politics of the, of the commanding officers. Now, I'll come back. He makes a very, very good point in that interview about anti-war moves and stuff, which I'll come back to in a wee while. But can we, like, just to stay on the, Stay on Kane's performance itself. I don't think he's phoning it in on this one. I, I think he's trying. You're not so, not so sure. No, I think he's trying, but but it, it, like it's not an outstanding Kane performance. I'd imagine, like I think we don't know how in what sequence these the, the film was shot, but I'd imagine yeah. at some stage during fil- during filming there was a kind of realization that he wasn't you know making another Ipcris file or another Zulu here. Yeah, yeah. As much as you you know. He still he still wanted to get the, the the show back in the road. I mean, as much as the, he claims he'd never seen the final cut, you have a realization when you're making something like this. You know, you're you're seeing the you're hearing the dialogue that's been spoken to you, and you're saying your own dialogue. You must realize this is not this is not the best work that I've done. And he didn't like he didn't like Al Maria much either. That was a that was that seems to have been a big issue. Is it Al Maria or Almera? I don't know. I, I, Anne Maria, Anne Maria. I don't mind. Whatever you want to. I, I mean, we'll. I, I tell you, we'll we'll put it out there. Let people tell us. I thought it was Anne Maria. Anne Maria. I'm not really sure. Oh, now you're saying that accent. I'm quoting. Anne Maria. Sounds yeah. better now, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah. he, he didn't. He didn't like the place much. And this is. I was. I mentioned a little yarn uh, in the previous episode that I was. I was trying to remember, but you. You. It's, it's what did he just like? He just like. Yeah, he disliked the experience so much that he had written into his contract that he never that he'd never <laughs> make another movie there, which is impressive yeah uh, but he said the Anne Maria at that I'll go with your pronunciation um Anne Maria at the time was a it was a, was a top location for or cheap location or alternative for uh westerns and war movies that were set in North Africa uh so you know it was very busy at the time and they had their basically the production staff had their hearts broken whenever you know they had a you know whenever they were working the main area of Anne Maria that had sand dunes that occasionally you know, you'd, you'd see tanks going over one hill and you'd see uh, cowboys and Indians coming over the other. So the production staff had, were constantly uh, clearing up uh, horse shit and wiping out, uh, uh, and wiping out hor- horse prints just so that they, they, they could maintain the authenticity of the shot. Yeah. So it was, there was one stage, didn't the, did, did, did a, like a bunch of horses kind of 
basically invade this, the set at one point. I, I, yeah, it was something like the end of Blazing Saddles. It was kind of a crossing of the streams there. They had to halt <laughs> filming and again, do a big cleanup because the, the horses literally shat themselves. Uh, <laughs> and that had to be cleaned up, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, there was... Richard Harris was meant to be on this movie as well. It was, again, it was well, as much as the directors were shifted around and the script was shifted around, um, Richard Harris was meant to play the character of Leech. Um, but in Nigel Davenport's own words, Harris was acting like a bit of a pop star at the time. He actually was on, he was on set in Al Maria and he stormed, he stormed off. He didn't, he didn't like the way the script was getting fecked around with. So he said, I'm gone. But he did sue him. <laughs> he was, he was down there for 150 grand. So he sued, he sued for his wages, even, even though he didn't appear in the film. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, I can't, I, I have to say, I kind of doffed the cap slightly to him. Uh, on that one, um, it was supposed to be filmed. It was supposed to be filmed in Israel as well, wasn't it? Because the initial mm. plot uh, was uh, that it was a group of Palestinians that were. It was based on the true story of, of Palestinians who were uh, engaged by the British Army to blow up a fuel dump, and then because it t- transpired that they needed the fuel dump, the uh, British authorities informed and then to the Germans, and they were they were all killed. Yeah, that was it exactly. Yeah, that was exactly it. And like, yeah, and even that, and even and even that would have more resonance because you could have these people who are former essentially colonists or people who were colonized by the British then uh, agreeing to do this for the greater good of the war effort and then it, ultimately it, being betrayed by the British, that would have made a much better movie. It, you're absolutely right. I cannot disagree with that at all. I mean, and, and you could still have had Kane in the film and, and you know, it would have all been fine. But you're right. We all, know how, good, we all know how well he could do accents. I, I, would have, <laughs> I would have paid fucking cash money to hear him do a Palestinian accent. Well, I think in this it's one... Bloody, I, it's bloody falafel. is awful. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Which way is Mecca? Oh God! In this way, he like, to me, he basically does a Brom head. Like he's going, he's doing that thing from reasonably upright officer who has no it's experience of combat. It's a, it's, to, well, no. it's, a rever- it's a kind of a reverse Brom head uh, because uh, Ooh, you know, he plays Whoa, he's, he's a reverse Brom head. Google that, uh, Google that, ladies and especially gentlemen. If you if you <laughs> want to get an extra thirty hour, thirty minutes out of your love making, try the reverse Brom head. Uh, so he's playing an engineer. Uh, who outranks the other? The who ends up outranking the ranking officer in the unit? So I mean, that's a that's a reverse promise. Um, it is, it is. But he also kind of learns about the the horror of the war horror. and so on. Which you, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I can see you. I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, let me let me address the horror. Of oh, war! It's so bad. Yes. Oh, the people die. Yes. Oh, people in charge do that bad thing. Oh, make a sad. Oh, okay. sad face. Well, let me remember. two fucking hours of it. Two hours of it. <laughs> War is hell. People are bad. Fair play, lads. Let me, me rebut. Water is wet. Let me rebut by referring again to the interview in film and films and filming from Kane, and he's talking about his experiences. Which you put into the, which you put into the description of this podcast as well. Yes. What? Yeah, there you go. That's your homework. I what? I don't know what that. I'm not even sure what that is. Anyway, he talks in that interview about yeah the idea of because the, the interviewer makes the exact point you're making which is uh or, or does kane say that the critics actually said no sorry it's kane makes the point that the critics at the time are saying yeah it's just another bloody anti-war movie in the middle of vietnam and blah 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 blah, blah. we know war is hell he makes the point that at that time in 68 16 66 69 the biafran war the nigerian civil war was ongoing that there were still wars occurring that the idea that uh, we were all zoned out from it, well, it's still happening. That the, the, that we still need to make these anti-war statements. He was in the middle of being involved in a charity at the time um, to help the, human, the humanitarian 
catastrophe that was Biafra at that time. Uh, he was. He says in the interview that you know they managed to get together three hundred tons of food. They raised twenty five thousand pounds, and even having done all that, um, he was still getting racist abuse essentially for helping helping these people. It was actually said to him in a letter that if you help these people in Nigeria now, these are the very guys that are going to be on our doorstep in 25, 30 years' time looking for more. It's incredible, really. But the point is that, yes, there's nothing new about Play Dirty. There's nothing new about it being an anti-war movie. Yet still, there was wars like Biafra going on. Um, and, you know, he was very critical of Britain supplying arms and offering support to fund that war. Um, so he's making the point that, yes, um, that maybe you know, maybe people would get turned off, like you were turned off, okay, by the idea of an anti-war. But we can't stop making them because there's still wars going on. Yeah, but what you could do is make them entertaining. I mean, nobody's saying you can't make an anti-war movie, but you can do it cleverly, and you can and you can make it involving, and you can make it entertaining. And this is none of those things. And I, and I hate to break it to you, but as you say, wars are still ongoing. It's not as if you know they played play dirty uh, through the loudspeakers of the the. The helicopters flying over Vietnam, and all of a sudden, everybody no. threw down their their guns. That it's, is true. It's, it was not a revolutionary movie. It was a box office dud. But I another think one for, in a row of them for him, and it you know it, it made it made very little impact, if not if any impact. I think though, as a, as a piece of work for him to do, for him to be thinking, well, if there's kids in Britain in particular watching this film, I don't, I, you know, getting away from that whole imperialist sort of way of thinking and this idea I know, of being but in, in fair, but in the army is a glamorous thing. And yeah, I know, you know but in fairness, in fairness this is now is like Kane saying that now, Kane like that now is like the lads, uh, the, the lads on Twitter going on about, you know, oh, but, you know don't worry about not getting your good leaving cert results I did X, Y, and Z. And you go, lad, those kids aren't on Twitter. They're not going to, they're all on fucking TikTok <laughs> or Instagram. They're not going to be looking at your Twitter and going, oh yeah, the man is right. Kane, as his time is in the late 30s, he's not talking to any teenagers. In 1969, there's no way they're going to see play dirty. There's no boobage in it for, for, for one. And there's no decent violence in it. These are all reasonable points. I still think it was an okay movie. Actually, in that interview, it was very interesting how he gets stuck into the British movie industry as well, which becomes a theme, doesn't it, up through his career. He's given out about the quality of the kind of, you know, the living conditions and the working conditions if you film a movie in Britain compared to America. It, which is hilarious considering that his best work to date has been yeah. in Britain. Yeah, uh, you know? And I think I'd be interested to compare it once we kind of stutter nearly across the finish line of this ultramarathon is to see what percentage of movies overseas versus the ones he did in Britain were, you know, Good. Yeah. Maybe Hollywood's making them soft. Well, soft. This this bitching about the quality of the food and the and the and the conditions. It yeah, it does seem really, really childish in terms of but if you think about his background in terms of what the poverty he came from, he's really let that leave an indelible mark on him in terms of how oh, yeah. he's let that affect his decisions that like you know, or during his professional career. I mean, they certainly colour it. It's you know, you're you are basically taking jobs based on how comfortable you're going to be financially and, you know, personally during the, the shooting of the set, which is again, there's no way to cater a career. This is something that we're gonna see a lot, particularly going through the seventies. When he starts, when he gets married, and he has kids. We're going to see that we're going to be touching on this a lot. But even in the, even in that interview, he's making the point like that. You know, um, I'm just going to get as much money out of this as I can. You know, I, I'm going to whatever way I can do it. I'm going to shape it so that I get I can earn as much money as I can. And you are right. Look, I take the point. I, it's even when I'm saying it. It's just I I do think he did this movie with a kind of a cause in mind. But it's not. It is not the number one consideration most of the time with McCain. I absolutely isn't. And it's probably 50-50 here, even you could say. But I, I I take that. But I still think it's an okay movie. And I think he did he did a decent performance. 
So going back to when we briefly mentioned about Kane's own war service in the, in the Korean War, you know, drawing upon his experience there and, mm-hmm. and basically channeling that into his performance here, uh, I think it's important to to kind of talk a little bit about what he did there. So he was conscripted, well, he was he was doing national service and he took the option he could do two years in England or he could do one year kind of concentrated service mm-hmm. in uh, Korea for the Korean War. I think it was 1952 when he went over there for a year. He had a terrible time, uh, you know, terrible conditions, rat infestations, saw service, probably, probably or definitely killed people uh, and would have, I, you, you would imagine, you know, incurred some sort of trauma as a result of it. Got very close to death himself. Yeah, as per his as per his generation was something that was never really talked about in great detail, but you can imagine, as you say, it certainly coloured his attitude towards war. But one aspect of his of his experience there that that was not being uh, that he's not drawn upon that certainly has been represented uh, in any of his movies is his experience as official penis inspector for his unit. <laughs> and I feel this is something certainly a fifteen minutes scene of this would have provided enough entertainment for me to get through. Uh, yeah, through, uh, play it and they wouldn't need, and, and they wouldn't even have had to change the title of the movie. No, official penis, you know, penis inspector, uh, <laughs> play dirty hyphen, official penis inspector. Can you explain uh, what would have been involved in the role uh, of official I think it would be a lot funnier. I think it would be a lot funnier if I didn't and just left it at that. But yeah, I suppose <laughs> I better provide some context. So, Cain, uh, when he left England off, he'd, father, he'd, he'd father, a child, father the child at this stage. So he was well aware of the intimate things that can happen between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman and a woman and so on and so forth. Uh, so as part of their orientation to, to landing in a foreign country, they were shown a, uh, a succession of uh, STD movies uh, that were basically created by the army to put, uh, put so- <laughs> who hilariously thought, uh, you know, if you show a movie to soldiers showing them why they shouldn't have sex, they definitely won't have any sex uh, when they when they travel overseas. But I think Kane was possibly the exception that proved the rule here. He was so traumatized, so traumatized by the pictures of diseased uh, penises that he he vowed never to touch nor look at another woman while he was overseas. So scared was he of having his proud British member uh, decay and uh, rot. So... Obviously, the other lads, uh, lads in his unit, and I, again, I'm aware of using the word unit here, uh, mm-hmm. not in, uh, not in the, the, the penal capacity, but the other lad, lads on his squad were not so careful. And uh, since he was the only person not having relations with, with, uh, with, with, uh, with the local, local populace, uh, the lads took to cornering him in the jacks and just going, will you have a look at that, will you? <laughs> Basically. Word spread. So basically, he would spend his afternoons, lads would basically get out, get out their lad in front of him. And oh uh, he would ba- basically, basically, kind of have a quick look at it. Kind of, it's not going to, if it's right, if it's seeping, uh, and it's less than two. If it's seeping and it's uh, two weeks since oh. the last time you had sex, then it's an STD. That was initially how it started off. But however, the lads were so paranoid about this because you know oh, it, may, it may not look bad, but it could look bad soon. He had to basically provide uh, his penis was used as the control. So in an experiment, he was, <laughs> his was the control penis. So he would take out his penis as the control penis, and kind of like a Julux color chart. <laughs> Only this, maybe this would be like you know, like you know, like purple stardust or something like that, or you know, something like that. That, that would basically, uh, as a color, as a color match, they'd get you yes. know, you kind of do a long, a long side just to show what a healthy version would versus a diseased okay. one. As he says himself, if any of the MPs broke, uh, went into the latrines and saw three lads hanging around with their penises out, he, he's a uh, <laughs> He's uh, he may have gotten again, and unless, no unless they've gone to public school, 
Well, let's put it this way, Michael. It wouldn't have been the only dishonorable discharge. <laughs> absolutely, Stephen. Absolutely. That's extraordinary. And you know what? I, I was, um, I, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was going to kind of do some lovely poignant um, clips of, of Michael Caine talking about his army experiences and the impact they had on him. I will now not be using any of those in this episode. Yeah, I mean... You've ruined it. Are you, tell, are you telling me, honestly, if in Play Dirty, they didn't just have a, so, a slow motion ver- version of a, a swaying, tumescent, <laughs> infected penis with a piece of classical music, that wouldn't have been, that would have been more effective in conveying the horror of war? you telling me that the young fellas go to watch that movie could be going, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> going, I'm picking up the plow. That's it for me. Peace is the way. That would have been far more effective than two hours of complete and utter dickheads just stumbling their way across the desert to get shot. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Ten seconds of a tumescent, infected penis would could have possibly ended. It could have been the scene to end all wars, actually. Yeah, just just score to Barbara's Adagio for strings, you know, like the bit in, in, in Platoon where William Defoe is getting slowly machine yeah, gunned. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of... This could, yeah, I think that would have been more evocative. Oh my god, ev- 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 evocative and yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm just I'm staggering dazed after that to to the marks of for, for marks for Kane. So we're not marking the movie; we're marking Michael Kane himself. Um, go on, six and a half. Oh, that's actually very um, that's very generous. It's not, and I'm not. I'm. I, it's actually going to be six. I. I. I yeah. uh, you said it was a six and a half movie out of ten. I think it was influenced there. So six out of ten. We're not doing half marks. Half no, marks we're not doing half. No, we're not exactly. No. We're either one or the other. I would agree one hundred percent. And um, just for the, uh, just for the librarians among you, the nerds among us, uh, we have previously given six canes for Gambit and Billion Dollar Brain. So that's the level we're kind of pitching at. I think that's pretty reasonable. I would say I was going to say six as well. So six for Play Dirty. Good man, Mick Kane. Uh, I look. Can we? Could we agree that at least this is kind of like a foothold in the slide? He's kind of slowed the slide anyway. That was at top speed uh, with the Megas and Deadfall. Is, is, is he at least kind of on some way kind of more solid ground now with us? Well, let's say if he was, this basically he was he, he was on he was he was sliding and he was looking basically towards the precipice and he was looking for purchase. Yes, yes. this is a handhold. However, when he looks up at the handhold, what it actually is is one of those erect infected penises uh, from his <laughs> war days. That he's gripping hold on to. It's not ideal. It's reminded of something terrible from his past. But you know what? He's not going to fall off the edge quite yet. That is, that is, I have to say, magnificent. And to be fair, it's almost as magnificent of what follows because in typical Kane fashion, as we're going to find, he has this ability to pull himself out of the worst swamps, uh, including the likes of Megas Deadfall, Woman Time 7, and I'll throw Play Dirty in there just for the sake of it. Our next film is The Italian Job. Hooray. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh, Christ. Like, there has been... I, I was looking up stuff about The Italian Job recently. I hadn't realised there's there's such... There's such a, a, a library of stuff about The Italian Job, like documentaries about the making of it, anniversary... This that documentary or the books. It was in the London Olympics uh, opening ceremony, part of it with the minis. Like it's bloody huge. I like I knew it was a big movie. I didn't realize it was this. It was so huge. But have you seen it? 
I have not seen all of it. I I'm aware of like the the cultural impact of it. I guess it's been so significant that, and I've obviously seen the terrible fucking remake. But I yeah. uh, I'm aware of the 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 use of the the minis in it, and I also know the ending and the kind of lines, the kind of key lines from it. So yeah. I'm aware of that aspect, but I definitely have no recollection of watching all of it. But then again, I could have early onset dementia. I barely have any. I can barely remember what happened last week. I'm looking. I am looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, and I'm also interested to see because there, uh, we'll talk about this next. That there, there are a few alternate endings around the Italian job. No more than there was with Play Dirty, and I'm going to leave you on this one because it has to be said. The original ending for Play Dirty was a lot cleaner than what it was. Like the ending, obviously, is the two lads getting killed, Kane and and Nigel Davenport's character. It was actually Kane and Davenport who pushed that ending. The 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 original ending was a lot more clean. And sort of they get they get they get captured and they get to explain themselves away and they all survive. But Kane didn't want these guys getting their medals and walking off into the sunset at the end of the day. He said that wasn't the way it should be. I meant to mention that earlier on. I think it's important. There we go. There we go. I'm representing for Play Dirty like no one has ever represented before. I know it will ever represent again. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's walk away from Play Dirty. Go and watch the Italian job. Enjoy it. I think we're all going to enjoy this. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit of a break. It's a bit of a break from what we've gotten used to. Come back next episode, and we'll go through the Italian job. See what, see, see what we make of it. As usual, if you have any questions for us regarding the Italian job, or you just want to tell us how handsome sounding we are, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Marco Kane Two. Fuck you, Marco Kane One. See you next time. See you guys. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2. And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News Two Cubes production. See you next time.